When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Cardiff City Podcast brought to you by Wales Online. I'm your host Glenn Williams and over the next hour and 15 minutes you'll be hearing from a true Bluebirds legend. I went up to Newcastle to see former Cardiff City, Newcastle and Sunderland striker Michael Chopra to talk about his upbringing, his time at Newcastle, why he loved the Welsh capital so much and the controversies off the pitch that punctuated his career. This is Michael Chopra in his own words. Michael, thank you for joining us um, for a really special edition of this podcast. Um, just want to start and take you back to your childhood. Um, born Rocky Michael Chopra. <laughs> Can you explain that one to me? Um, do you know what? I can't, to, the, to this day, I've not really asked my mum and dad what it was about. As far as I'm aware, um, obviously, uh, with me being half Indian, Rocky's like an, an English Indian name. Um, but my mum wanted me to have a, an English name, so I think that's why where the Michaels come from um, and then growing up really it's from a young age people have just taken to me as Michael um, it wasn't until I went to India in 2016 I think that I decided that I want to be known as, as Rocky when I was playing football I decided <laughs> to to go completely the other way and change it just for a year so yeah that's that's how I think it's it's come about. So you're upbringing in um, in Newcastle. Then you had, did you say, an Indian dad and an English mum? Um, can you talk me through a little bit of your, your upbringing? What you like? Do you know what? I was I was lucky because my dad used to play football. Um, followed Newcastle United, um, season tickets and that sort of thing. Uh, so I I was lucky going to a lot of Newcastle United games when they were in the old first division. Um, so already at a young age I, I had a footballing background whereas I'll use my cousins as examples uh, both same as me brought up Indian um, but they would their parents were like you've got to go down the academical you've got to go to work hard at school and that sort of thing whereas my mum and dad were totally the opposite they wanted me to to be good at sports and, and that sort of thing and so in a way I'm thankful that my mum and dad pushed me that way because when you're born you're born with a talent and they've probably seen that from a, an early age and thankfully um, I made them proud one day. Um, what do your parents do for a living when you were growing up? When I was growing up um, my dad had a news agent um, so I would go there after, after my uh, Sunday league football and take all the stickers for my, for my sticker book and, and things like that <laughs> take a load of sweets and, and take them to school and, and that sort of thing my mum just used to help out with, with my dad uh, it wasn't until um, later on in my career that my dad, dad decided it was too much going to work at 5, 6 in the morning coming home at 8 o'clock at night he wanted to spend more time with me and uh, wanted to to see and, and, and be at a lot of my games really so we decided to to pack that in and go down another route 
what, what sort of a kid were you, Michael? Were you, uh, were you easy to get on with? Were you a bit of a tearaway? What? Nah, I was. I was. I was a bit of a tearaway. <laughs> I, I, I was. I must admit, I was. I was. In, in Newcastle, you use the word toe rag. Uh, I, for my mum and dad, I was a nightmare. Uh, but that, in a way, that's probably made me the person I was. Because in a way, you need that in, in football. You have to have something about you to, to reach the top. And I did that. At times, I was I was in trouble for the wrong reasons uh, that I shouldn't have been. But that's that's the person I was, and you, you can't really change it. Was there always football then? You talk about your parents and the sort of upbringing that you had. Was it just football, nothing else? You didn't want to go down an academic route, nothing like that? No, it was just football, really. Um, from a, a young age, when I started playing Sunday League football at the age of seven, eight, I was playing a year above myself. Um, then I got to an age where I was playing for Newcastle as well, at the age of nine, and I had a choice to make. Uh, I think it was when I was 12, 13 years old. The FA put this pro- program in place where young kids are only allowed to play. I think it was about 60 games in a season. So you had your your county, your school, uh, Newcastle United, and there would have been another team. And in that season, I was only allowed to play 60 games. We had a book. We had to get it signed by the manager and everything. Every game I played. And at the end of the season, you had to hand it into the FA. Um, so some games I wasn't allowed to play in because they would try and keep me for other games. To make sure that I was that I was playing in them, and it wasn't just me; it was it was every kid in in, in England, I think it was. Um, then it got to to the age of thirteen, I think it was. Newcastle United, I think it was Newcastle United. They put a rule in place, or it might be the FA, where you could either play for the academy, school of excellence at the time, or you choose your school in your Sunday league football. So, me playing for Newcastle, being a Newcastle fan, I was adamant that. No one's going to take this opportunity away. I want to be a footballer. I want to play for Newcastle United. So I pulled away from the school, pulled away from Sunday League football, county football, and played for Newcastle United. Whereas a lot of my friends left Newcastle to go the other way, and they didn't make it as a professional footballer. So I, I think to myself, I wonder how they would have went if they had took the route that I went down. Talk me through. Um getting into that Newcastle youth system and obviously like you just said you're a massive Newcastle fan talk me through um, what, what happened did you get a call up did scouts come and watch you play Sunday um, yeah it was John Carver in fact who used to be uh, well he was the Newcastle manager at one point assistant manager to Bobby Robson he was uh, he was a school of excellence uh, like director at the time um, head of scouting he had spoke to my mum and dad and asked me what I'd like to go and play for Newcastle United and I think that that was a dream come true for my dad because he wanted to make it, wasn't good enough, uh, had a bad knee injury so it stopped him playing but to see his son getting asked to play for the School of Excellence it was was a proud moment for him and then you take it in your stride, it's it's a big thing, you you go to school and you you play for Newcastle United, you know (laughs) what I mean, it's telling your mates are we playing. At the time, it was Leeds. It was all the local teams around the era. So I think at the time, Scarborough were in the second, third division. So you you go in Scarborough, Hartlepool, Leeds, uh, Bradford, Sunderland, Millsborough, all them teams. You were playing them on a regular basis. But it, it was great because it was something different. That I'm not playing local local teams and local players. I'm uh, my knowledge of the game's getting a lot better because you're playing against other teams from other regions. You always a striker? Do you always no, that? No, no, I wasn't. 
uh, when I first started playing, I was a, a right winger. Uh, I was, I think I was skinny but quick. <laughs> so the, the decided to be, he's not, he's not good enough to hold the ball up and, and that sort of thing. So to stick him on the wing, get him, <laughs> get him to the byline and whip it in for somebody else. Um, but it, it wasn't until probably 10, 11 when I decided to really change position. I'm not happy assisting other people. I want to be on the the one on the end of it, scoring the goals and getting all the all the um, acknowledgement from the managers and getting the man of the match awards and, and that sort of thing. And um, <coughs> you impressed so much in Newcastle, then you earned international honours, didn't you? At yeah, it was. Uh, I'll go back to early Newcastle days. I was on the verge of leaving Newcastle uh, around about. 13-14 uh, a guy who used to be head of Millsborough Football Club Peter Kirkley he had kind of got wind that Newcastle were going to release me so he had asked my mum and dad would I want to go to Millsborough and, and that sort of thing if, if they did release me um, but Newcastle decided to keep me on and thankfully it all worked out for me but yeah going back to, to playing for England schoolboy level um, I was going for England trials at uh, Lillishaw at the time. I was going to stay there for a year, but they decided to close it down. Um, so yeah, uh, we had, we went for the trials and everything. I, I was good enough in the trials. Come to under 15s, you do all these medical tests before you play uh, in the, the schoolboy uh, cup. Uh, so you play in Scotland, England, Wales. Um, and when I went when I went on international duty, uh, I think it was Northern Ireland I was going to play. One of the results come back from my medical that I had a, a heart condition, um, Wolf Parkinson White syndrome. And it's one in three hundred people have it, where you have an extra valve in your heart, so the blood goes through another valve and that sort of thing. So until I had more tests, I wasn't allowed to play for England schoolboys. I was absolutely <laughs> devastated. I was like, I'm going to be playing for England on a Friday night live on Sky. And I've been told that because of this condition, until I get more tests done, I can't play, play for England. And I just broke down in tears. I was absolutely devastated. Um, so Newcastle United and the FA were brilliant with me. They, uh, they got tests on me, ECGs and cardiology tests and all that thing. And eventually, the top people at the FA looked at the results and said everything was fine, happy to go ahead and, and then I can I can make my debut for, for England, schoolboys. When you said you were playing against the home nations there, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, England, who who were your contemporaries? Do you, do you remember any players that went on to make it at your yeah, uh, against them? The, 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 the players that we had in our team were, we had Jermaine Pennant, who was in Notts County, just signed for Arsenal for two million. Uh, Dean Ashton was part of the team. Uh, Glenn Johnson was part of the team as well. We we, we had great players at the, at the time. Do you know what I mean? A lot of them have made it in the, in the big leagues. Uh, Any Welsh players you remember from that that time? Going back twenty years, yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you know what? I've got the programs in the house. If I pull the programs out, I'll be able to I'll be able to look straight away. I know when I played against France. At a young age, as one of the one of the French players was playing, uh, I played against him um, when I was playing in in, in club football. Um, he messaged me on Twitter and that sort of thing. 
And that was, that was like 10 years after playing against each other uh, at a young age, but yeah. But I'm sure there would have been a couple of players that have played for Scotland. Obviously, Darren Fletcher was one of them. He used to play for Scotland. Um, Mark Fotheringham was a brilliant player, a Scottish player. He was he was another player, but I'd have to look at the programmes for, for Wales and, and Ireland. So um, you progress with the Newcastle Academy system, you've represented England at youth level, then you go into the top level of Newcastle Academy. There was obviously a natural barrier for you to get into that first team. How hard was it for you just to break into that first team at Newcastle? It, it, it was hard. Um, I remember when I was 15 years old, I signed like a pre-contract to say that I was going to sign professional terms at Newcastle, everything going well as long as I didn't get injured sort of thing. So I kind of put my schoolwork to one side. I knew I was going to become a footballer if things were progressing the way I'd agree a contract and that sort of thing. So schoolwork, GCSEs, I just it didn't interest me. It was like, just write your name, there you go, see you later. <laughs> I'm going to become a professional footballer. That's what I had in my back of my mind. I was so focused on, on being a being a professional. Um, so yeah, getting getting trying to break into the first team. Uh, I remember Newcastle United had as a strikers. You had Amiobi who just broke through. You had Shearer. You had Bellamy. You had Kieran Dyer who was a great young player. Uh, Carl Court was there. Lamana Lua Lua. These players, these were all players that were playing international international football, and then he has myself, a young 16, 17, 18 year old, coming through the ranks, uh, just just desperate to, to make it in the first team. Um, but I was always I was always training with the first team and training with the reserves at a, a young age. I would I would travel with the reserves when I was 15, 16, uh, get an experience. I would leave school on a Friday. Every Friday, I'd get permission to leave school and to, to go and play for the, the youth team uh, under 17s, under 18s. And as a 15-year-old, that was a, that was a big thing. Uh, and then people, as you get, as I was getting into breaking through to the first team, people were saying, "Is he's the he's the next Alan Shearer and he's this and that." But I was just determined to to to, to make my debut into to pull on the famous black and white shirt. Mm. So you say that people were saying you're the next Alan Shearer. To, to a young a young Geordie kid, that's a massive villain. You can either take that one of two ways. Either that can serve as motivation or it can be daunting and make you go the other way. Yeah. Uh, I think it depends on how strong the person is. Because some people get all this um, acknowledgement and adulation and they don't make it. They go the other way. Uh, but I wanted to, I wanted to to fulfil all these famous players that Newcastle United had that have walked down the tunnel and stepped onto St James's Park and and that sort of thing. Uh, it was a dream for me, and I wasn't going to let anything anybody come in the way and, and stop my dream. I was so focused on on doing what I wanted to do and doing what basically all my life for ten years that I kicking the ball around in the streets and. Waking up at seven o'clock in the morning, going to school and just to play football with my mates in the play yard. I wanted to make sure that I've come so far that nobody's gonna take it away from me. It's down to myself, and once once you get the opportunity, you've got to take it. Just talk me through your Newcastle debut. Then what, the, what was the situation surrounding that? You know, how proud moment for you and your parents and things like that. Well, it, it, I think it had been coming. Um, 
I was getting told by Bobby Robson and John Corvo would tip me off saying uh, you're going to be in the squad, you're going to be on the bench soon and, and that sort of thing, just keep doing what you're doing in the reserves. And then obviously, in, I think it was the Worthington Cup back in the day, uh, once the cup competitions come along, a lot of teams play, give the young players a chance. Uh, and I was on the bench, uh, Everton at home it was. Um, and I came on just before the end of, well, about 60, 70 minutes, I think it was. And the game went into extra time, it was 3-3, I think it was at the time. We had a man sent off, so on my debut, down to 10 men, 3-3, extra time. It's gone to penalties. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, time to make yourself a time hero. Time to make yourself a hero. <laughs> Bobby Robson, who wants to take a pen? Yeah, I'm desperate. Gaffer, give me a pen, give me a pen. Penalty comes along. Richard Wright standing in front of me, in training all week, scoring goals from penalty spot, practicing uh, throughout my career, always scoring penalties. Uh, step up in front of uh, the Sir John Hall stand, and I've, I've had a shot, but for some reason I've changed my mind and I've decided to to be fancy Dan and try and go in the top corner. <laughs> when, whenever I've took pens, I've always gone in the bottom corners. Um, I've tried to go in the top corner, I've hit it over the bar. And I was, I was devastated, absolutely devastated. I remember standing in the showers after the game with tears in my eyes. We had lost the penalty shootout. I had tears in my eyes and on my debut, I've missed a pen for my hometown club. It wasn't just me that missed, I think Hugo Viana and Lauren Robert missed as well. Uh, so I wasn't the only one. In good company. Yeah. So, but this is one thing that will always stick in my mind. And as, a, as an 18 year old making my debut for Newcastle United, Alan Shiro walked into the showers and just said to me, he says, listen, Chops, he says, don't worry about it. He says, try missing the penalty against Sunderland. A couple of weeks ago, I think he just missed the penalty against Sunderland to go on to win the game. And he said to me, he says, don't worry, he says, imagine how I feel, I've just missed, I missed the penalty against Sunderland. He says, the one thing you've got about you is you had the bottle to go up there and take it. He says, an 18-year-old, he says, a lot of them players on X amount of money come from millions of pounds. He says, they don't, they don't have the bottle like yourself to go and do it. He says, don't let it, uh, don't let it affect you. And from that day, it, that always stick in my head how, how much appreciation I had for for Alan at the time, he, England international, scoring goals in World Cups, and to come up to him and say that uh, was was a big thing, and it meant a lot massive. to me. Yeah, massive. yeah. Um, so obviously we'll come on to your loan clubs and stuff in a bit, but was this six years and twenty-one appearances for Newcastle? Did, I mean. As a Geordie fan playing for Newcastle, anyway, must be a huge achievement. But do you feel a little bit disappointed you didn't go on and play more? Yeah, I do, I do feel a, a dis, bit disappointed, yeah. I think that before I made my debut, I think I was ready for the first team before that. Uh, I personally believe I was getting held back. I don't know why. Um, but that's just my thinking. Uh, I, I was ready, I was scoring goals. It, Youth team, reserve team, at a young age, 15, 16. And <clears throat> I believe that I should have made my debut before what I did, but for some reason I didn't. Um, but you look back on them things and it's all ifs and buts, isn't it? It's, if the penalty goes in, something else could have happened. It's, it's I thought sort of thing. So in a way, you, you look back and you can't really complain and, and that sort of thing, you know. I'm sure if you were a kid and somebody <coughs> said to you, you're going to play 21 times in Newcastle United, I'm sure you'd be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you'd, you'd be happy to you know only pulling on the black and white shirt, 
20, 21 times and scoring Premier League goals uh, against your local rivals and, and that sort of thing. But some managers I didn't get on with, some managers didn't like me and you, you put it down to that as well. So then you went on for loan spells at <coughs> Watford, Notts Forest, uh, Barnsley, but then obviously the Cardiff gig came up 2006. Can you uh, talk me through that, how that came about? Yeah. Um, so my contract was running out in Newcastle and the 2006 from January, I think it was, I'd started to play games and I was playing starting games. Uh, and I was doing well, I was creating chances uh, for the players. I was scored a couple of goals in important games as well. So I had a meeting with the chairman at the time, Freddie Shepherd, and he, he offered me a contract. And it, it was a small increase to to what it was but I wasn't about money I'm not a player that's all about money do you know what I mean at that time um, so the money thing wasn't the problem when he was saying oh we're going to give you a little increase more of a problem was I knew Alan Turo was retiring so I know that they had to go and spend a lot of money on a new striker to please the fans so that puts me even further down the pecking order um, so then I decided that actually I'm not, I'm not going to sign a new contract. I'm going to, I'm going to try and go about things a different way. Maybe I'll have to take two steps back to take one forward, drop down a league, and try and rebuild myself and get back back into the Premier League that way. And at the time, I had an agent, uh, SFX it was, and uh, Peter Ridsdale. I knew from when I was at Barnsley because he was the chairman of Barnsley. We had a couple of players that uh, that were in Bonzi as well, who were part of the agency. So they knew Ridsdale really well. Uh, Peter Ridsdale was the chairman at Cardiff. Uh, Sam Omar was the owner, and they contacted my agent and said, "Would Michael be interested in signing for Cardiff?" And I went down to meet them. Went to the stadium, the stadium, Old Indian Park. Uh, it wasn't. A massive stadium like I'm used to at Newcastle United, but it was it was a, a stadium that I knew if the fans were your team was doing well, the fans are going to get right behind you and they're going to uh, they're going to support you and, and that sort of thing. So we had we had a chat and spoke to the manager at the time, Dave Jones, told me what his plans were, and I decided to to go for it and go and sign for for Corner City. What was your um relationship like with Dave Jones. I spoke to uh, Steve McPhail a couple of weeks ago and um, he always says how much of an influence Dave Jones was on, on getting him to Cardiff City. How did you get on with him as a manager? From, from when I met Dave Jones, when I, when I first went down to Cardiff, I knew that he was the right manager for me straight away. I could tell that if there was someone that needed to really give me a kick up the arse, give me a kick up the backside when things are going tough and I'm not playing well then he's the right man for me if things are going well I know he, he, he'll respect me and give me a bit, bit of, be lenient with me that sort of thing when because Newcastle to Cardiff's a, a long way and you're leaving your family and I did it today Michael I know. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> and I was leaving my family my mum and dad being brought up in Newcastle traveling a long way down to Wales um, and I was I was, I was Still quite young in terms of football at the time, I hadn't played many games, so you, you have to consider all that. And I went down there, and 
the, the staff, the players when I got down there, everyone was fantastic with me. Uh, the fans were brilliant and I couldn't, couldn't have asked for anything else. you strike up any um, immediate relationships and friendships with the players there? Well obviously I knew Steve McPhail from playing at Barnsley. Um, Darren Purse was there, he was the captain, he was great to get on with, took me under his wing. I remember we went to Vancouver for pre-season. Um, Ricardo Shimica was there, uh, Paul Parry, Joe Lundy was coming through the ranks, Neil Alexander was there. We had a, we had a good team, we had a, a lot of strong per personalities and whenever I needed help I knew I, I could turn to them and, and ask them for help and it was a, it was a great it was a great team at the time. Uh, you look back and a lot a lot of their players helped me. So your first season there, 22 league goals in 44 games, included in the team of the year. Must have been a sort of this is where I belong sort of moment for you, was it? Yeah, it was. Uh, to to step down from the Premier League when I've always dreamt of playing in the Premier League. Like I said, you had to take two steps back to take one forward. Uh, that that's. I couldn't ask for anything anything better. Um, being in the team of the year, scoring 22 goals, and I think I missed a, a few games as well from being sus suspended. Uh, missed out on the golden boot by one goal, I think it was. Um, but no, it was uh, it was a great achievement for me, um, stepping down and, and doing so well for Cardiff. Even though Cardiff finished mid table. To score 22 goals on that team was was a great achievement. I know you said it's a long way from Newcastle to, to Cardiff, but often people draw comparisons with South Wales and the northeast of England in terms of uh, socio-economic standing, how close a community it is down there. Did, did you see comparisons between the two places? Yeah, I did. Um, when I when I spoke to the manager and, and things like that, and Sam Hamar and Peter Ridsdale, they said to me, these fans. They'll be like the Newcastle fans what you're used to. He says they'll get right behind the team, they're passionate. As long as you're working hard and doing well for the team, they'll be fully supportive and right behind you. And I could see that from from the off. Uh, I had a good, great start to the season. Uh, and the fans were brilliant. They were right behind the team. We were we were flying at one point. I was thinking, God, what a team we've got. You top the table in we September. Were, we were beating teams like uh, West Brom, Birmingham, who had just been relegated from the Premier League. We weren't just beating, we were dominating them, we were battering them. Um, Lindian Park was bouncing at times. Um, a lot of games were on the sky because we were doing so well. Uh, but we had, we had a team of, of players that didn't quite make it in the Premier League, but they probably were too good for the, for the championship at the time. Like Peter Whittenham, Steve McPhail, Steve Thompson was brilliant for me as, as a strike partner. Kevin Campbell was there as well. Uh, he used to play for Everton and Arsenal. He, he was great for me. But we had we had we had such a good team spirit at that time. We thought we thought we we were going to go into games and who, who are these teams coming to Cardiff? We fans are right behind us. We're going to dominate and we're going to we're going to batter teams. Teams hate to Yeah, Indian exactly. Park, Especially in Indian Park because the fans were so close to the pitch. And it, it, I know it's a, people say, oh, it's a rubbish stadium, but that's what I needed at that time. I needed to be playing in a stadium like that. To, to feel I, loved as well. Yeah, well, that's what. To play well in football, you need to feel loved. You've got to, you've got to feel wanted. And I felt that straight away with the Cardiff City fans, and that's probably why I kept going back to them.
Is Zora felt like at that time that Cardiff were really on, on the cusp of something? So, so why then did you leave at the end of the season? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, a little bit I was missing home. Yeah. Uh, Sunderland come knocking. Roy Keane rang me up. When you were on pre-season? When I was on pre-season, yeah, in Portugal. Uh, Dave Jones phoned me. And he said to me, he says, uh, I think I think Sunderland want to buy you. And I was like, oh my God, Sunderland. And well, I can't do it, Sunderland. Newcastle Sunderland's a massive thing. And, and you scored against them? Yeah, like Newcastle. the year later, I'd scored for Newcastle against Sunderland at the Stadium of Light. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm a huge Newcastle fan. And, and that's all I think, I can't, I can't do it. Spoke to my family. Um, and then I was, Dave Jones said to me, he was like, <clears throat> you're not training. You're not playing in any games. We're not taking a risk. Even, I want even if you say no, you want to train. We're not doing it because I think Cardiff at the time were financial difficulty. We were training in uh, we were training in a, a training ground that wasn't Cardiff's. We were eat, uh, eating our lunches at our porter cabins. We were doing weights in the car park. Cardiff had this ambition that they wanted to build a new stadium, they wanted to be in a new training ground. And I think, in a way, they were banking on me leaving the club so that they could fund all of this uh, facilities. So Dave wouldn't, wouldn't let me train, he wouldn't let me play in any of the games just in case I got injured. Uh, and then I was... How did you feel at that time, then? Were you a bit sort of juxtaposed, <coughs> I guess? Well, yeah, because I, I, I'm just a, I was just a footballer. I wanted to, I want to play as many games as I can pre-season. I want to get fit. Um, in my mind, I wasn't really going to go to Sunderland, uh, but Cardiff didn't want to take the risk because there would have probably been other clubs knocking on the door as well. When somebody scored 22 goals in the championship, clubs in the Premier League normally take notice. And then, uh, uh, was I think I was at, I was at the training ground. I think. Uh, watching the lads train and I had my phone and uh, a private number come up and I was like who's ringing me so I've answered him hi Michael it's Roy Keane I'm like Roy Keane's on the phone and I'm like I'm like nervous and everything because I used to watch this guy on the te television playing for captain of Manchester United winning the uh, Champions League and, and, and that sort of thing with Premier League titles this guy's a big thing in football he's, he's ringing me why is he ringing me but I had a, I had a good chat he was brilliant with me understood the Newcastle background, the connection, and just said to me, look, it's your decision. If you don't want to come, he says, I've got nothing against you. But if you come, uh, I'll be fully behind you because of your roots, I'll support you as much as I can. Uh, <clears throat> and that sort of thing, he says, look, don't make a decision now. Sleep on it, speak to your family. You've got a couple, oh, he says, I'll call you back in a couple of days. Uh, so, even even Roy Keane to ring me then, it was it was brilliant to, to have somebody like that. Uh, means a lot because he's worked with great players, he's played with great players, and to, to class me as a good player that he wanted in his team, uh, it meant something to me. So I come off the phone, rang my mum and dad, rang uh, my missus at the time, uh, spoke to Dave, and spoke to my agent. And my agent said to me, he says, listen, there will be other clubs interested. He says, I know Everton have been looking at you, Aston Villa at the time as well. But the opportunity of going back up to the North East, living in Newcastle again, 
being home with family and friends, um, I think it was too much of a good opportunity to turn down and obviously to learn a lot from a manager like Roy Keane who's worked with Sir Alex Ferguson. And I just decided to, to go ahead, so he, he called me back and I just said, uh, I'm ready to move. I just said, I want, I want to do it, I want to, I want to come and play for Sunderland. And he said it was. He just said to me, "Fantastic, uh, we get everything sorted. Come up for the medical." And from then, it, it was brilliant. I never looked back. So, Michael, you move uh, move back to Sunderland. How was that? What sort of reception did you immediately get? Well, from the fans, wasn't very good. <laughs> um, we, we've we've just signed a player for five million, who's scored a goal against us the year before for our local rivals we, we got relegated from the Premier League uh, why are we signing an ex Newcastle United player to try and keep us in the Premier League it didn't make sense to them uh, but I was a type of player that wanted to prove people wrong and thankfully I managed to prove a lot of people wrong and uh, I managed to get the fans on my side quicker than what I actually thought as well. So obviously you had that first season, then you missed the start of the next season because you were in rehab, is that right? Yeah. Can you just talk me through that time a little Well, it was during the during the first season I had the problem. Uh, and the I, gambling problem. Yeah, and I went to Roy Keane I said, Roy, I've got a problem. Uh, mentally, I'm not right. I'm not focused on football. And he just said, listen, Chops, you've done so well for me. You've, scored important goals for me we're always happy happy to help uh, I think Roy Keane's had his own problems in the past so he he knew exactly what he was going through and ever since that day when I when I talked to him about it he, he was brilliant with me he would invite me to his office sit one-on-one -on -one, having a chat with him how am I feeling today and, and that sort of thing and people talk about Roy Keane and they say he's this and that but I've got nothing but respect for the man he was he was brilliant with me and and that sort of thing and it wasn't until um, the second season when I went down to the Sport Chance Clinic um, I was training down there because I knew I had to train to stay fit and I came out of out of rehab uh, midweek I think it was and we were playing Millsborough on the Saturday I think I came out on the Wednesday trained with the Sunderland team on the Thursday done really well, was flying, trained on the Friday, was flying again and the gaffer, Roy at the time said I'm going to put him on the bench, he's, he's looking sharp, he's this and that, he's been brilliant and uh, we played Millsborough on the Saturday and I think early into the game one of the strikers has got injured and Roy always had this knack with me where he could see in my eye that whenever he turned to me on the bench he could see it in my eye that for some reason that I'd get him a goal or, or something. The season before it happened so many times. Aston Villa away, Fulham away. He'd look at me and he'd say, Chops, you're going you're gonna to score today. I can see it in you. I God knows how he knew, but whenever he said it to me, I always scored. <laughs> and he said it to me on that, on that, on the, when I was coming off the bench to, to go to the sideline. Uh, he said to me, he says, look, you've been flying in, in train. He says, he says, this is going to be your day today. You're going you're gonna to get us the winner. And I scored as well. I think I scored in the... Early in the second half, I think it was. 
and I scored late late in the second half. We went on to win the game 2-0 and I scored. So early in the week I was in rehab. Towards the end of the week I was scoring goals in the Premier League again. It, it was amazing how things can change so quick but a lot of credit's down to Roy and Roy left the club because he had a, whatever was going on with him and the chairman at the time, Niall Quinn. Uh, Ricky Surpresa took over, didn't really see eye to eye with him. Um, so I knew my Sunderland career was coming to an end when, when Roy had left really. And what, what was the sort of breaking point when you thought, right, I need to seek out for you with this, this gambling problem? Uh, well, I had the I had the problem when I was in Newcastle. Mm. Uh, I was flying to Malaysia pre-season and playing cards with big-name players. And I was I was 17 at the time, and I'm I'm playing cards with these big-name players, and I was on probably a thousand a week, two thousand a week. These guys are on 80,000 but. I couldn't believe it at the time, do you know what I mean? I was like, right, wow. Yeah, I'm sitting playing cards with Alan Shearer, Kieran Dyer, Greg Bellamy, Gary Speed, uh, Shane Given, Solano, them type of people. I was, I was growing up watching these people on TV and I'm actually sitting on a plane playing cards with them. Uh, but as a player, as a young boy, it's like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter, I'm going to be earning X amount, and I'm a big superstar, I'm going to be doing this, 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 not a problem. Uh, but it just, it just decided, it just kept getting on top of me, uh, and for some reason, I would never let it affect what was happening on the pitch. No, that's right. As did, did, did you ever Cardiff as well? <clears throat> I, yeah, it was at Cardiff as well. Yeah, when I first came to Cardiff, it, I had the problem then. Uh, but I, I never told anyone about it. It was in, the, in my mind. Uh, I would go to training, go to after training, go to the bookies. I think it was, look back now and I'm thinking to myself, the buzz I got from scoring goals, I was trying to find a buzz from somewhere else to try and accommodate it. And I, I, I wasn't a big drinker, never took drugs. So how could I replicate that buzz? And no other better place than, than gambling when you get a winner and, and that sort of thing. It's no, no better feeling. Getting a winner on a horse or a dog or cop winning a card game is the same as scoring a goal, it's the same buzz, do you know what I mean? Uh, so that's where I think, but people say, oh, it started to take effect on the pitch, but never once affected me on the pitch. I would play cards till 3, 4 in the morning on, a, on an away trip with the lads, play the game the next day and I'd, I'd be scoring two, three goals. It just never affected me. So what was the watershed moment then that made you I knew, I knew I had to stop. I knew come and get, as you get older, you know that you can't continue the way you were, you were doing as a, a young player. Look, I was, eating, I was eating, the lads will tell you if you speak to the lads. My diet when I was playing for Cardiff and, and that sort of thing was horrendous, shocking. I'd be going to an away game and I'd be eating burgers and shit like that on a, <laughs> on a bus, do you know what I mean? And the, the lads will tell you if you interview them, they'll tell you what was Chops' diet like. They'll say it was shocking. I'd turn up at training uh, at Cardiff with like crispy cremes. I'd drive from Newcastle the night before, arrive to Cardiff, five o'clock in the morning, have some crispy cremes from one of the drive-thrus on the way down, and then I'd go to training with these crispy cremes and 
and stuff like that. I remember I went down one time, yeah. And Sean Connolly, the physio, I walked in, right? And I was like, this lad, do you want, do you want a donut and that? And this was on a Friday, yeah. We got a big game on the Saturday. It's like, do you want a donut, lad? And he, he picked the box up and he just smashed them on the floor. I was like, Sean, what are you doing, man? Well, 12 donuts, do you know what I mean? The crispy crumbs. And he was like, who do you think you are? And all that stuff. And, uh, but that, that was me, do you know what I mean? I, I, I could get away with it because. I was, uh, the, my ability was was natural, it was like, I didn't need to work on it. I wasn't a man that was going to the gym, working hard in the gym, it was just like, at the time I just thought, and I remember at the time Alex Armstrong, I had a big conversation with him, fitness coach at Corner, and he said to me, he says, he says, Chops, he says, you can't keep going on like this, he says, you're not, you, you can't just switch it on and off, you don't just have a switch on your body, like, switch it on and off. It's going to catch up with you. Yeah, yeah. so... <laughs> I can't remember who we were playing the next day, right? But uh, on the Friday we had the conversation, and the next day before we were going out to, for the kickoff, I said to Alex, "I went, Alex, I've got a switch on my leg, switch it on." <laughs> so we tapped my leg, right? I scored like a couple of goals in the game, and I ran, I ran over after the game. I was like, "Alex, you need to switch me off, mate." But even even one of the match balls I've got, uh, one of one of the match balls I've got, I think it was. Might have been Plymouth away. I think it was Plymouth away. I've got the match ball at the house. I was looking at it like two months ago when I was going through the loft, and somebody's wrote on the on the match ball, "Pint of Coke anytime you like," because I had a pint of Coke at half time, and I scored a hat trick in the second half. So the, do you know what these little, little things they all there? Uh, but then I, with the gambling and all, I knew that I had to do something about. It. I couldn't keep gambling thousands and and then. And getting people coming to the training ground and that sort of thing. I knew I had to change the, the way I was going about things and eventually things would catch up with you if you didn't do something about it. So uh, Ricky Sprazier takes over at Sunderland and you'll not get in as much game times as you like and then, then you go on yeah. the floor to Cardiff, is that right? Yeah, I remember Dave was ringing me and ringing me, Chops, we need you, we want you in. And I was saying, look, I can't, I can't do anything. This was when Roy Keane was the manager. And he was saying, I'm saying Roy's got me on the bench. He's, says I'm going to play the weekend and, and that sort of thing. I says I'll keep in touch with you um, and then we'll see what happens. And then Ricky took in, took over and I think it was like, I think deadline day was on a Monday. Monday I think it was a Monday at the time and it was like, I think, and I said to Dave, I went, Dave, I've just finished training. Uh, we're away at the training ground. Let's try and push this deal through. I want to come on loan. I told Sunderland that I want to come alone, but it's down to you. Because I think Sunderland wanted like a, they wanted me to go on loan, but they wanted Cardiff to buy me in the summer as well. And I don't know if Cardiff wanted to do that. So I was waiting at the training ground from like half one. The deadline, the deadline was closing at five o'clock. So we got to like quarter to five, and I'm ringing Dave. Dave, what's happening? What's happening? Just be patient. I'm like, there's 15 minutes left in the window. You told me to be patient. It's like, no, no, we're getting, we're getting things done. We're just working on a, a transfer fee. So it was like a minute left of the window. And like, he's rang me and it's like, right, get yourself inside quick, get yourself inside, sign the document. So like 20, 30 seconds to go before the window closed. I was running into Sunderland Training Ground trying to sign the paperwork to, to get the deal pushed through before the window closed. Uh, and since then, I, I, I went to Cardiff. 
So in the February of that year, you had a very sort of public breaking up with, with your then wife. Yeah. Whereas before you went to Sunderland because you wanted to go back up to the northeast, was coming back down to Cardiff maybe a way to escape what was going on up in, in the northeast? Uh, it wasn't, wasn't really a, to escape. It was uh, I want I knew playing Cardiff back to back to Cardiff. I was playing my best football. Um, even even if I had problems with my wife, she would have came with me to Cardiff if need be. So it wasn't a case of escaping from from the problems with, with my ex-wife and that sort of thing. Uh, it was just a case of where finding a club where I was going to be happy, a manager that knew what I needed, and a club that had ambition as well. And Cardiff was has always been the right fit for me. Been on loan two three times and, and ever since. The first time I went there in 2006, I knew it was the right club. It, it was reported at the time that the November loan to Cardiff might have had a contributory factor to your marriage breaking down. Was there, was there anything in that? No, not at all. Um, obviously, um, people say these stories and, and that sort of thing. Well, in fact, you, at the end of the day, I had to do what was best for my football career, even if you if I was with my wife at the time going to Cardiff she, she would have came down with me that sort of thing uh, but it wasn't necessarily because we were on the verge of getting divorced uh, so there was no need for her to come down then it was a case of me to, to prove all these negative people wrong saying oh, he's finished he's, we already taken him back because of what he's done previously in the club and, and that sort of thing but to me it was just a case of I'm going back to a club where fans love me, manager knows what I need, and manager knew how to get the best out of me, and he, he'd done that as well. How, how did you compartmentalise it all? Because you went from being in rehab for gambling, then your marriage breaks down, but you're still producing on the pitch. How, you have to be quite strong to sort of differentiate what's going off the like, pitch. Like, like I said to you, whenever I stepped on that white, over that white line, nothing would come into my mind. It was just football, Cardiff City, getting promoted, Sunderland staying in the Premier League. Anything, and people say, how would you do it? And I don't know. Obviously, it must be mental strength. and I'm strong enough to, to cope with whatever's going on in the background. But whenever I stepped off that white line and I'm sitting in, the, sitting in my apartment overlooking Cardiff Bay, you, you get lonely, do you know what I mean? It's, and I, 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 moved, I moved from... <clears throat> I had a, I think I had like a, a five or six bedroom mansion up near Corntown in, in near Bridgend and I was there by myself and I was living there by myself. <laughs> Dave said to me, he says, why, why are you living in this big place and all that? And I was thinking, well, I've come from Sunderland, got to prove to the lads that I'm like a, a big dog sort of thing, do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I've got to go and rent this like four or five grand a, a month big house and I was sitting there playing computer with the lads, playing Call of Duty and that sort of thing. But like four of the rooms weren't even getting used. So my bedroom wasn't even getting used because I was playing computer that much. I used to just like bring a blanket down and just chuck it on myself and just fall asleep with a computer on and the TV. <coughs> Who were the lads that were coming over to play Call of Duty with you? We had uh, <coughs> Jay Buffroyd, Danny Treequarter when he was on loan, Peter Whittenham, uh, Gavin Ray, um, Ken McNaughton, uh, Hudson, 
There was, there was like seven of us. Who was the best? Oh, uh, <coughs> Kev McLaughlin was a joke. He was, he was, ridic- he was ridiculous in Call of Duty. He was scary, mate. Scary. But yeah, we, we, so we, we would like finish training. We were like, right lads, six o'clock. We'll, uh, we'll, all, we'll set a time for six o'clock. Everyone get on Call of Duty and, and that sort of thing. We'll all play in a, a team lobby, team deathmatch and that sort of thing. Six people, I think, could play in a, a team deathmatch against six random people. So we had like a clan name and everything. And we'd be what on was your clan name? I can't remember. I can't remember now. But we'd like have these headsets on and we'd be speaking. We'd be like training nine till one with the lads, having banter with them. They'd go home, sort the kids out, put them to bed. We'd be sitting on the headset until like two, three in the morning playing Call of Duty. We'd come and train the next day and we're talking about Call of Duty. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, it was a thing that we had at the time with the lads. So you're talking like half the starting 11. Like playing on Saturday, we were all like headsets, so the communication and the team bonding was was brilliant. It was it was fantastic, and that's why I think Cardiff at the time had done so well uh, because all the lads would do stuff together. If one of the lads said, "Right, lads, you fancy going um, Nando's or do you want to go for an Italian down on Cardiff Bay?" If somebody said on the, like on the afternoon, one o'clock, do you want to go Nando's or you'd get like eight nine people there. It wouldn't just be like two or three. And I think that's the the team spirit he had at the time. It was brilliant. But like I said, going back to like the so I spoke to Dave Jones and Dave said to me, he said, "What, what are you living in this big house for?" And I was like, "Oh, the, the internet's unbelievable. Super quick fiber up the broadband." He was like, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Nah, gaffer, gaffer." I said, "I'm playing Call of Duty and everything. I've got like one millisecond speed and all that to kill someone and stuff like that." He was like, "Trust what? What are you talking about?" I was like, Gaffer, doesn't matter, you don't know about these computer games and stuff like that. He was like, Chops, I think you should get down to Cardiff Bay. Try and get a place down Cardiff Bay and you'll be out and about, you can go to restaurants, you're not just like locked in. A, he, he would call it like a cage. He says, you're not locked in a cage and, and that sort of thing. Obviously at the time I had a driving van as well, so Steve McPhail used to live like around the corner, so he used to pick me up and, and take me. He was like, Chops, you've got a driving van, your restaurants are on the bay and everything. He said, just, Come out of this big house, drop your ego and get yourself down on Cardiff Bay, go and live down there. So I, I found a place down on the bay and it was brilliant, overlooking the bay and everything. And uh, obviously I had the problems going on. Were they still going on that season? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, they were going on, only up until probably three, four years ago. Right. Um, but I was the type of player that I wasn't letting it affect anything because if, I, if whatever was happening off the pitch was affecting me, and I knew that all the adulation and all the love I'm getting from the fans and the manager and players, if I stopped getting that, then I'd, I'd completely break down. I think I would have been suicidal. But I wasn't getting love off the pitch from people like you should be getting it off. It was like a, I was like getting the mixture of both trying to, to accommodate it. So getting the love on the pitch was kind of accommodate getting the love off the pitch. So. And that's where Cardiff fans are so good because they're so fiercely loyal, aren't they? Well, yeah, they, exactly. Yeah, and that's when I always go back and people talk about Newcastle fans are so loyal. But I, I, I always say Cardiff fans are, are brilliant. They're so loyal about the team. And even when I watch the team, watch the games on the TV, and you see empty seats, and I'm thinking, back in the day when when we had this MacPhail, Boothroyd, Ledley, uh, Whitner, Hudson. McNaughton, Marshall. The stadium was full, it was bouncing. I was just, and I'm thinking to myself, if only the club could just recapture their moments and 
I feel sorry for the fans because the younger generation they didn't see that they're just seeing what's happening now and it, it's sad in a way but hopefully things can turn around that last 2009-10 season is quite iconic I suppose in the memory of, of some Cardiff fans because of the chopper Bothroyd era how good is that for you playing with, with Bothroyd? Look my ex-missus at the time and Jay's missus they, they got on so well even though we were getting divorced and that sort of thing they always got on and we, I, I would always have arguments with Jay off the pitch because of what was happening with my divorce because Jay and his missus Stella were, were so close to Heather uh, my ex and Jay used to come in training and say this and that and I used to argue with him but whenever we Whenever we stepped on the pitch, it was like, we just worked so well together. It was like, I'd set Jay up, he'd set me up. We were good for each other, do you know what I mean? And people talk about partnerships, and people talk about, Man United had Dwight York, Andy Cole, Blackburn had Shearer, Sutton, and Carter fans obviously, we had Chopper Buford, and it was, it was such a great partnership. It's just a shame that, that season we didn't, we didn't get to the, the promised land, but we, we really believed that we should have done. Who are the um, who are the real jokers in that um, dressing room that season? There, 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 there was a lot. Uh, Yourself? Yeah, definitely myself. Yeah. <laughs> myself, Jay Bufroyd, uh Kev McNaughton, Gavin Ray. Uh, Wits was a bit quiet. McPhail was quiet. Um, Joe, Joe Ledley was there. Um, is he honing his dancing back then, Joe? Yeah, he was doing the the, the lawnmower dance whenever he scored. He was doing that. Walk. Whenever whenever he used to score, we would always shout to him, get the lawnmower out and that sort of thing. Uh, but no, we, we had a group of lads that we would always play tricks and and have, have good banter. And it wasn't look, you could do something to one of the lads and they wouldn't get upset about it because they knew it was banter. And especially when there's like five, six, seven, eight people involved it's, you, you know it's having a laugh but then you've got to think about you, you're playing in a, a team and you're in a dressing room with 20 odd lads and the only way this football club's going to do well is if everyone's in it together and that's what what I believe why why we've done so well so given the, the camaraderie the morale everything like that why then did you move to Ipswich well I had a meeting with, with Dave Jones and he said to me that the owners didn't want me in the club anymore and I think I had a year or two he left and I said, to, I said to the gaffer I said Dave what's your plans because we missed out on the playoffs as well we got, we, we got battered off Red uh, in the semi-finals and Dave didn't even know his plans what he, he was doing he thought he might have got the sack as well so I, I just said, I said, listen, there's no point in me being in a football club where the owners don't want me there. After what I've done to the club and for them to to don't they don't want me and, and that sort of thing. And however much trouble I was in the club, I was always producing on the pitch. Nobody could take that away. I was scoring goals and and that sort of thing. I think that season I had a really bad injury on my ankle at the start of the season. I was out for like three, four months. Um, but. Craig Bellamy was there and I think he was giving it to the owners that we need to get him out as well he's he's a bad apple and that sort of thing but I was the same player the same person that I was three four years ago 
when I, when I why, first why, went to why college. Why do you think Craig Gallery is doing that? He probably, being at Man City, the professionalism at Man City, coming to Cardiff looking at me, didn't think I was professional enough. Uh, he wasn't happy at one game where Bristol City away, I think I was. Uh, I, for whatever reason, I was superstitious and I would always check my phone at half time, check a message, whatever. Sometimes I would get a message off uh, a guy from Newcastle, uh, Stephen Black, who was like a motivation person. And I was getting a message every now and again from, from him during games. Uh, reading the messages to myself to try and improve my game and think about this and that and nobody knew about this people would just think oh he's checking his phone just to just for football results or horse racing results but when in fact it was some i was getting a motivational speech from stephen black from from newcastle and if people know the sports industry he's worked with some some top players he worked with johnny wilkinson during his england days when the when england won the world cup uh, the rugby uh, but people don't know that and I think they probably thought that the professionalism with Michael Chopper isn't good enough so we were playing Bristol City away and I, I went to check my phone and my phone wasn't there and I said gaffer someone pinched my phone when in fact Craig Bellamy told the fitness coach or one of the physios get his phone out of his pocket hide it somewhere so he's not checking up and it's not distracting him so I just said to him I said listen I, w I want my phone otherwise I'm not going out at half time do you know what I mean I've done this every game why should I why should I change whenever I played Bristol City I've always scored goals and, and that sort of thing as well so I just said I went what my phone otherwise I'm not going out because I knew I could have a text message off of Steve Black from about the motivation and trying to push me to, to work hard in my game a lot more um, so I think since then he's probably thought in his head that I'm not professional enough for for Corner City if they want to try and get in the Premier League and, and, and that sort of thing. And he's, he's wrote about me in his book about the situation and that sort of thing. I'm not, I'm not denying the situation because it happened, but there's reasons why it happened. Um, so that's my reasons why he probably thought I wasn't professional enough. So you didn't want to leave the club really then, Cardiff? No, I didn't want to really leave the club. Um, we, we got to the playoffs two years in a row, but with Dave possibly moving, uh, Mark Kennedy had went to Ipswich. I spoke to Sparky and I says, "Look, Cardiff want to get rid of me. Would, would Ipswich want me? Because I know Ipswich tried to sign me the summer before. Roy Keane was manager. I think they tried to sign me for like four million. Cardiff said no. So I said, "Listen, Cardiff are willing to let me go for a million." I said, "Speak to Paul Jewell, see if he wants me." Rang me back within five minutes and says, "Chops, I want to sign you straight away." So then again, I. I was, I was made feel wanted again by another manager, Paul Jeweler, who was brilliant with me as well. And I was just right. there's no point in being in one club where I'm not going to feel wanted and I'm never going to play and could be stuck in the reserves and, and that sort of thing. And then whatever problems I've got, it's just going to be worse. You went to Ipswich, you did really well that first <coughs> season, but... Again, off-field problems. Again, you compartmentalised it because you had such a good season on the bench. Yeah, year. I scored 14 goals. I think it was. I think I was the first player for Ipswich in five, six, seven years. I had reached double figures as a striker. But whatever was happening off the pitch, like I said, fans were always 
he's doing this off the pitch, he's, he's going out, he's driving bads, he's involved with the police. They wrote off a lot of your debt as well, didn't they? Yeah, Ipswich. yeah, they wrote off. Well, they, were, they, were, they were good to me, Ipswich, really good. And I've got nothing against Ipswich Football Club. Then. The uh, Marcus Evans, Simon Clegg at the time, Simon Milton, Paul Jewell, Mick McCarthy when he came in for the second season. They were, they were all good with me, but some of the fans had this big thing about me that because of what's been going on in the background, I don't produce on the pitch. And I decided to to take to Twitter and just to to have a go at them, really. Just to, I was doing well. I was scoring goals and coming off, coming off the bench, scoring goals. But fans pay their money. They have a right to say what they want. You know what I mean? I shouldn't have took to Twitter. I know I shouldn't, looking back. But every club I've been at, I've always, I always like the fans. Do you know what I mean? The, the fans have paid their good money to come watch a team. They just want what's best for their team at the time. And I was at their team, and they wanted me to to do well they expected probably more of me in the second season but it didn't really happen speaking of uh, taking to twitter you also took to twitter when you were at blackpool <laughs> talking about the uh, the training you turned yeah. up and there were six players there and the fitness coach took yeah, training we, it, 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 well it was crazy because i spoke to one player uh stephen davis i think it was and i texted him i said are you training tomorrow and he went now i've got the day off and i just said What's going on here? How, how are these players getting the day off? And some players are going in, and so it wasn't a case of not playing and things because like, I wasn't really playing much. But these other players weren't playing as well, so I just thought, fire it off, I'll go to training. If I don't turn up at training, you're going to get fined. So I just found I'll go to training. So I got to training, and I was like, what are we doing today? He's like, well, I went, how many people are here? And it was like, I counted, it was like six. So I just thought, sod this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write it on Twitter. Six people have turned up for training. It's a joke. Fitness coach taking a football session. So we've done a football session with fitness coach. And no disrespect, but fitness coaches don't know how to take a football session. Just like a, a football guy wouldn't take a fitness session, wouldn't take a weight session because it's not, they're not specialised in that department. So and then we went for a walk like along the promenade and, and that sort of thing. And I'm just thinking to myself, why, why have I even? drove down from Newcastle to come and do this driven three hours three and a half hours to turn up and do this I couldn't what's the point and I took to Twitter and the, the club were owners who, who they were the Oystens they were running the club how they wanted and desperate to take money from players they just decided to fire me and, and that sort of thing and spoke to the PFA about uh, I tried to say <laughs> somebody else hacked my account and wrote it on Twitter and that sort of thing and they were laughing at me and they were like nah, we can't, it's not, that's all serious and stuff like that because I went and I told one of my mates someone's hacked my account and that sort of thing they weren't having it I think I got fired like 10 grand but it's, part, it's life isn't it you, you, you've got to get on with it uh, I can laugh and joke it about now but in a way I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done it do you know what I mean it's, you've got to respect the club and they pay your wages, so you've got to respect them. So after um, Blackpool, you went out to Kerala Blasters. <coughs> massive change. You've uh, changed the scenery for you. What was yeah. it like out there playing football? Well, I knew India were going to do a new league, the Indian Super League. Uh, it was just a case of when it was going to happen. I had offers to, to stay in the UK and play in the UK, but I was pretty much finished. I would achieved what I needed to achieve in, in the UK. Played in the Premier League, played Champions League, scored goals, team of the seasons. Um, 
So I just decided to, to go venture out and do something different. Obviously, being half Indian, uh, would have my dad it would have made my dad proud as well playing playing in India. His family would have been proud, and uh, there was a draft in the new league set up, and then all these big name players were playing it. I know they passed it: Del Piero, Trezeguet, Anelka, Matarazzi, Nesta, uh, Captain Villa. David James was the manager of Carolina Blasters. But you had all these big superstars that were going to India to play in this new league. So I just said, why not go go out there and venture and play there for three months? Um, so I decided to do it. And do you know what? It, from the day I went out there, it made me appreciate life a lot more because you don't get any middle class. You're either rich or you're poor. You're living in a, a seven-star hotel. As soon as you step out, you're seeing underprivileged people, kids walking the streets begging for money, and it made me appreciate life a lot more. It made me change the person and, and to to look at life and to look at other people a lot more. And the ego, what I used to have, is it suddenly disappeared. Because you tried to play for the Indian national team. Yeah. When you're out there, but that never materialised. For me to play for the national team, I would have had to give up my English passport, get an Indian one. And then it was like, I'd have to get visas to come back to the UK, and you don't know if you're going to get them. They're the only country in the world that don't do dual citizenship. And then I was just thinking, it's going to be too much hassle to, to try and fulfil probably your family's dream to, to play for Indian national team. And I spoke to Sachin Tendulkar, they tried to push it. But what did Sachin say to you? They, they were all for it, they were trying, trying to push it. Because he, he was the owner of the of the football club, uh, Kerala Blasters. Really? He was the owner of the club, yeah, he was the big superstar. Each team has a, a big superstar owner, and he was the owner of Kerala Blasters. Uh, so I spoke to him about it, he was getting the lawyers involved and that sort of thing, but it, it, eventually we were just, for however long it was going to take, it was just the, for the time. By the time I got it, it wouldn't take two, three years, it would have been pointless. You know, officially retired from football anyway. Yeah. You never announced it, I guess. Um, what are you up to now? Are you living in Amsterdam? Are you? Yeah, so I was uh, I was doing the TV in India, and uh, I got asked to be on a panel, a conference, and uh, Ajax Youth Academy head of Ajax Youth was uh, put on the screen. Everything about Ajax. They were trying to trying to make Indian football better, uh, having all these people from around the world come and discuss about what they should do in infrastructure in India. Um, so I just got chatting to the guy from Ajax about why is Ajax so good about producing players and, and that's so he gave me the insight and we, this is the programme we do and that sort of thing and he was like, I'm going to put you in touch with my good friend, he's an agent. So I got talking to to uh, his good friend George, a uh, Greek guy, George Kazianis, and we just got discussing. Uh, obviously my new missus was uh, Dutch uh, so I was going from India, I was eventually going to go back to Amsterdam and live in Amsterdam. Uh, but we just got discussing, it was like, what are you up to? I was like, well, I'm doing the TV, the Champions League and everything in India, but I want to do something different. I want to stay involved in football, but I don't want to coach and, and that sort of thing. So we just decided to, he, he said to me, why don't you not try and be, be an agent? You've got your contacts in the UK, that sort of thing. So I just said, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've got to, I'm not going to go and get my license, be a UK licensed agent. Uh, I'll put players, bring players to you and you can try and get them into clubs. 
So uh, we done that, and it's it's been good. It's been exciting. You're seeing what really goes on behind the scenes when you try to move a player. Uh, I moved well. We moved Jason Punchin from Crystal Palace to uh, a team in Cyprus called Pavos. So I was working with Jason's agency in England, which is uh, Wasserman WMG, who used to look after me when I was a player. And I just connected everyone together, and they sorted the deal out in uh, in Cyprus. Uh, so it's that's exciting. I've uh, really enjoyed it. You see. You're involved in football. You get to know what's going on in different clubs and, and that sort of thing. So it, you, you're still involved, but on a, on a different point of view. How are you taking to life in Amsterdam? I love it. Yeah, I love Amsterdam. Love it. Such a beautiful city. Uh, it's, it's different to the UK because people know who you are in the UK. You always got to. You've got to. It's not an ego thing, but you've got to be careful about what you're doing on a night out that's whereas in Holland it's like just go and do what I want people are uh, people respect you as long as you respect them and, and it's, it's such a great city and I love I love living in it um, do you see you doing this for the long term I think so yeah I'll probably probably continue to do it yeah it's what what, I, what I'm enjoying doing I get to go watch football matches uh, doing something that would never have thought of uh, you, you're looking at contracts um, I've got knowledge of it so and then you've just got to use your connections which I've, which I've got in England in any case trying to find players clubs Michael Chopra thank you very much thank you so thank you for listening to that Michael Chopra special I hope you all enjoyed it uh, and as ever make sure you keep up to date with all the Cardiff City news at Wales Online.